Ra hum ra taruna runa runa run tahora kumba kumba nun tahora hara lamba nun da lamba tara munda run da munda ram da runda ram da munda lamba munda tom. To Isengard, the Isengard, be ringed and barred with doors of stone. The Isengard, be strong and hard and cold as stone and bare as bone. We go, we go, we go to war to hew the stone and break the door. For bowl and bow are burning now, the furnace roars, we go to war. To land of gloom, with tramp of doom, with roll of drum, we come, we come. To Isengard, with doom, we come, with doom, we come, with doom, we come. Welcome to Lord of the Rings Radio, the one podcast to rule them all. The home of Lord of the Rings Radio is LOTRradio.com. This is episode 4, and it is August 2005. If you caught any of the first three episodes, you'll notice a change. This time we finally have theme music. That is the professor himself singing the song that the Ents sing as they march to Isengard. Uh, Let me know what you think. Tell me if you like it or not. Uh, I thought it would be fitting to have Tolkien himself perform our intro music for us. Episode 4 of Lord of the Rings Radio is going to be a little different from the other episodes. I just have one topic this week. Uh, It is the movies, but specifically it is complaints about the movie trilogy. So basically you're going to listen to me complain for however long it takes to get what I have off my chest. Also a few bits of news to take care of before we get to that. First of all, Lord of the Rings Radio is now listed in iTunes. If you're an iTunes user, you can open it up, go to Music Store, click on Podcasts, and search for Lord of the Rings Radio. You'll find us there. You can download the episodes directly. You can subscribe through iTunes, and it'll automatically download any new episodes. Also, kind of related to that, because of iTunes and just increased uh, listenership, Lord of the Rings Radio is probably going to have some bandwidth problems coming up here in August. I expect to come very close to exceeding my bandwidth or going over, um, so I need a little bit of help. I've made available for the old episodes, and I will make available for episode 4, BitTorrent files. So anyone who knows about BitTorrent, uses BitTorrent, I would encourage you to, instead of using iTunes or some other aggregator or downloading directly to download the torrent file and get the episodes that way. Uh, Just help me out with bandwidth. Of course, eventually I'm going to have to do something different, move to a different uh, host or or buy more bandwidth. Uh, But if you could use BitTorrent in the meantime, that would help me out. Okay, so on to the movies. Now, before I get started, I suppose I should make sure you all know that I do love the movies. They're great. I'm very happy they got made. I'm not one of those Tolkien fans who hates the idea of these movies being made. I think Peter Jackson did a very good job, and they're great movies, and I'll watch them again and again and again. But, of course, I do find a lot to complain about. Every Tolkien fan has his or her own gripes about the movie. I tried to get a little bit of a feel for how my listeners feel. I put up a couple polls on our website. I'll let you know the results of those. Uh, the one poll was about events in the movies, uh, which the question was, what event changes do you dislike most about the movie trilogy? And results were pretty spread out. I won't read them all. If you want to know, you can go to the website, lotrradio.com, and click on polls. Uh, but the leaders, of course, number one was Frodo sending Sam home in Return of the King. Uh, we had 35 total votes. 
seven votes for Frodo sending Sam home. Uh, number two was uh, Arwen saving Frodo slash Noblorfindel. That got six votes. Uh, no Old Forest slash Tom Bombadil slash Barrow Downs got five votes. Uh, something else got five votes also. Uh, Framer taking Frodo to Osgiliath got four. Elves at Helm's Deep got four. So the results were fairly spread out, um, with Frodo sending Sam home being the clear leader, and of course, that's one that bothers me most. So, uh, I'll talk about a few of those in a minute. Uh, the other poll that we had was, which character interpretation slash performance did you like the least? And that was also pretty spread out, uh, 46 total votes. Legolas came in number one with seven, Faramir had six... Uh, Frodo had four, and we had a bunch with three. Gimli, Elrond, Denethor, uh, Mouth of Sauron, Eye of Sauron, uh, all got three votes. So, again, pretty spread out, and uh, I'll talk about some of those uh, a little later on in the podcast. Now, when you take a book and turn it into a movie, in my mind, I can usually live with things that get cut out. I understand that not everything... Uh, and a piece of fiction will fit into a Hollywood movie. Uh, that's why I can understand that Tom Bombadil was cut out. I can understand why The Scouring of the Shire wasn't filmed, even though it was one of my favorite parts from the book. Um, I can understand those things. It's when you change something or add something that bothers me the most. Uh, and that is why my number one gripe, and I think a lot of people's number one complaint about the movie, is in Return of the King, and it is when Frodo tells Sam to go home. Here is a clip from the film. It's you. I'm sorry, Sam. But he's a liar. He's poisoned you against me. You can't help me anymore. You don't mean that. Go home. Boy, I still cringe when I hear that. Uh, but here is Philippa Boyan's defense of the changes that they made. We felt that we had a character who was actively trying to separate and disrupt um, the goal of our other two characters, that being being Gollum, and he was never going to get a payoff. He never really succeeds. So we knew we wanted a scene where he successfully separated the two of them. I think more importantly than that, we knew we wanted Frodo to enter Shelob's tunnel alone. Most of us go inside the tunnel. It's all about the, the tension, the, the current tension in the film, and it is more tense, the fact that Frodo goes in there alone. I think it's good that Frodo's not always right. He's not this angelic character that he he does not have complete faith in Sam. Okay, so their defense is that Frodo sending Sam home increases the tension in Shelob's lair and also gives Gollum a payoff that he wouldn't otherwise receive. Whether or not having Frodo send Sam home increases the tension in Shelob's lair is debatable, I guess. I think the version from the book is fairly tense. But, of course, having Sam and Frodo enter the tunnel together and stumbling through it in the dark may not translate to the screen very well. I don't think it was necessary 
to send Sam home to increase the tension. Uh, of course, I think they tried to increase the tension with artificial means, with the uh, horror movie music that's going on while Frodo's stumbling around in a cave that looked like it just had a large cotton candy explosion. I think with Shelob's Lair, instead of innovating, what Peter Jackson and the rest of his crew did was went with what he knew from, of course, his horror film history. And they came up with, you know, Frodo stumbling into uh, skeletons and dead birds and running into cobwebs and this music going on that just doesn't fit with the music of the rest of the movie. It's really a part of the movie that missed the boat, I think, completely. I mean, Shelob's Lair from the book does not look anything like Shelob's Lair in the movie, and that's not my complaint so much, as in just the whole sequence is butchered. And then if you want to talk about Gollum's payoff, well, Gollum's a bad guy, since when two bad guys need to get a payoff? I think Sam missed his payoff, because Sam didn't get to beat the crap out of Gollum like he did in the book. You know, it to have Frodo and Sam face Shelob together and then have the drama where Gollum inhibits Sam from saving Frodo I mean how much more drama do you want you know I, I don't think Frodo sending Sam home A increased the tension yes it gave Gollum a uh, payoff that he wouldn't have gotten one that he didn't need and it took a payoff away from Sam so all in all I think that change was the worst in the movie. It totally turned me off from Return of the King. Uh, the first time I watched it, uh, the rest of the movie was just... I couldn't enjoy it. I'll go back and watch it now, and it, it doesn't bother me like it did, but totally unnecessary, totally pointless, and just plain stupid, I guess. I, I can't think of a better word than that. It's just stupid. Oh, and I almost forgot that bit about... Uh, Frodo not having complete faith in Sam just makes me wonder if they really understand what these characters are about. I mean, that's the strength that Frodo and Sam had. Sam was faithful to Frodo to the very end. And Frodo knew that. Of course he knew it. So to suggest that Frodo may not have had complete faith in him is just ridiculous. and I, I just boggles my mind. Okay, well, enough of that. Uh, we're going to move on to another favorite part of the books of mine, and another part that I think they really messed up in the movies. This is also from Return of the King. Uh, it's the whole sequence um, with the gates of Minas Tirith being broken, and, of course, in the books, in rides the Lord of the Nazgul. And in the movies, of course, we get these big, ugly trolls coming in and you know whipping their maces around and wreaking havoc everywhere. Here's a clip. Your soldiers of Gondor! No matter what comes through that gate, you will stand your ground! And of course, then, the trolls proceed to break the gates down and and come in and kick ass. Uh, question I have is, why? How does this improve upon the book? How does it make it easier to put on film? I... I've heard no defense for this, and I can't come up with anything really in my head other than maybe they didn't want uh, the 
Gondor's victory to seem imminent so early as perhaps it would if the gates were broken and uh, the Witch King rode through and, and, and turned back. Although I think that could have been done and not not given the idea that Gondor's victory was uh, at hand. Just for comparison, here is a reading from the book. Grond crawled on. Upon its housing no fire would catch, and though now and again some great beast that hauled it would go mad and spread stamping ruin among the orcs innumerable that guarded it, their bodies were cast aside from its path, and others took their place. Grond crawled on. The drums rolled wildly. Over the hills of slain a hideous shape appeared, a horseman, tall, hooded, cloaked in black, slowly, Trampling the fallen, he rode forth, heeding no longer any dart. He halted and held up a long, pale sword, and as he did so a great fear fell on all, defender and foe alike, and the hands of men drooped to their sides, and no bow sang. For a moment all was still. The drums rolled and rattled. With a vast rush, Grond was hurled forward by huge hands. It reached the gate. It swung. A deep boom rumbled through the city, like thunder running in the clouds. But the doors of iron and posts of steel withstood the stroke. Then the black captain rose in his stirrups, and cried aloud in a dreadful voice, speaking in some forgotten tongue words of power and terror to rend both heart and stone. Thrice he cried. Thrice the great ram boomed, and suddenly upon the last stroke the gate of Gondor broke. As if stricken by some blasting spell, it burst asunder. There was a flash of searing lightning, and the doors tumbled in ribbon fragments to the ground. In rode the lord of the Nazgul. A great black shape against the fires beyond he loomed up, grown to a vast menace of despair. In rode the lord of the Nazgul, under the archway that no enemy ever yet had passed, and all fled before his face. All save one. There waiting, silent and still in the space before the gate, sat Gandalf upon Shadowfax. Shadowfax, who alone among the free horses of the earth endured the terror, unmoving, steadfast as a graven image in Rathdenen. "'You cannot enter here,' said Gandalf, and the huge shadow halted. "'Go back to the abyss prepared for you. Go back. Fall into the nothingness that awaits you and your master. Go!' The black rider flung back his hood, and behold, he had a kingly crown, and yet upon no head visible was it set. The red fires shone between it and the mantle's shoulders vast and dark.' From a mouth unseen there came a deadly laughter. "'Old fool!' he said. "'Old fool! This is my hour! Do you not know death when you see it? Die now and curse in vain!' And with that he lifted high his sword, and flames ran down the blade. Gandalf did not move. And in that very moment, away behind in some courtyard of the city, a cock crowed. 
shrill and clear he crowed, wrecking nothing of wizardry or war, welcoming only the morning that in the sky far above the shadows of death was coming with the dawn. And as if in answer there came from far away another note, horns, horns, horns. In dark Mindoluan sides they dimly echoed, great horns of the north wildly blowing, Rohan had come at last. That is one of my favorite passages from the book, and it's one of the things I was really looking forward to seeing in the movies. Now, I don't understand how anyone would want to change that, or how anyone could think they could improve upon that. I mean, you've got the drama of two very powerful main characters facing each other. Now, I suppose Peter Jackson read that passage and said, well, gosh, they don't do anything. They don't fight. There's no, you know, there's no fight. We can't have that. So we had better throw some trolls in there and have them kick the crap out of some people. I just, I don't understand that. I mean, it was perfect the way it was, and they messed it up. I just don't get it. So instead of having Gandalf face the Witch King at the gate, we've got, in the extended version of the movies, uh, the Witch King swooping in on his fell beast and facing Gandalf with Pippin, and we have the Witch King breaking Gandalf's staff. Now, the first thing I ask is, why couldn't you do this at the gate? Why did you have to switch it around? Now, I suppose it was probably a timing issue, and... Frankly, I just think they're being lazy. They can think of a creative way to do it otherwise, so they said, well, let's have him do it here right before he faces Theoden and Eowyn. Which, again, I think it's lazy. But beyond that, why does he have to break Gandalf's staff? What point does that serve? Are there, I mean, I guess they're trying to make him, the Witch King, look like a badass because he could defeat Gandalf. Well, then, why didn't he finish him off? I mean, because then he heard horns blowing, but he had already broken his staff. He couldn't have just had his fell beast bite Gandalf's head off. I mean, that would have been fitting, right? That makes no sense. Just doesn't make any sense. All right, I want to move on now and talk a little about Arwen and how they treat her in the movie. I was afraid when I first heard that the movies were being made that they were going to give her this huge part or put her in the fellowship or something like that, and I was very happy that they didn't do that. The fact that she saves Frodo um, instead of Glorfindel is... Uh, I can I can deal with that. That's not such a big thing for me. I mean, I would have rather seen Glorfindel, but I can understand why they wanted to put her in there. They, they wanted to have a heroine and, and all that. The thing that bothers me about Arwen's character in the movies is the whole idea of her fate or her life being bound up with the ring and Sauron and and this kind of weird connection that Elrond tries to make. Um, I can't explain it, and Elrond doesn't do a very good job either. But here's a clip from the movie. I come on behalf of one whom I love. Arwen is dying. She will not long survive the evil that now spreads from Mordor. The light of the even star is failing. As Sauron's power grows, her strength wanes. 
Arwen's life is now tied to the fate of the ring. The shadow is upon us, Aragorn. The end has come. Okay, so I don't know if they stuck that in there. Just so we wouldn't forget that Arwen was back at home waiting for Aragorn. Or what? I guess that's probably what they were trying to do. And I think they could have found a better way to do it. Um, it's a pretty dumb idea. I, I mean, of course, Arwen's fate's tied to the ring in that if Sauron regains it, she's toast just like everyone else. But it's kind of a cryptic and silly way to just to get her back in the story. I think they could have came up with something better. Moving on now, we're going to talk about Faramir's character and some of the changes they made to him. Now, if you've listened to our other episodes, I, I did cover Faramir previously. Uh, he is one of my favorite characters, and he's one of the characters that I think uh, they really missed the boat on. Now, I think David Wenham did a great job with the script he was given. I think he makes a very good Faramir. But Faramir was not this weakling little daddy's boy who was living in the shadow of his brother and couldn't do anything right and like they make him out to be. You know, never was Faramir tempted to take the ring back to his father in the book. Not for a second. I mean, Faramir, in my mind, was this idea of what Gondor should have been. He was not tempted by the power of the ring. But in the movies, we have him, we're not sure, should he take it back to his father, should he not? And then, of course, he has this epiphany at the end of the two towers to let Frodo go. Well, it was just, the only reason for that was to have something at the end of the movie. They didn't want to have Faramir let Frodo go earlier, just so they had uh, something for Frodo to do until the two towers was over. So again, it's another change made for timing, which, you know, I know in movies you have to do that kind of thing, but I think poor Faramir is really damaged by it, because he looks like a little weakling, and um, it really makes his character less than what it was in the books. Okay, now I'm just going to quickly go through some of the other characters that I was disappointed in, and some of the ones that uh, showed up on our poll. Uh, I'll start with Legolas. You know, he is not a major character. Of course, he is in the Fellowship, but he doesn't have a lot of speaking parts in the book or in the movie. Um, so, in the movie, they decided to make him out to be this kung fu ninja, elf, super speed, killing machine. You know, which... It's kind of neat to see the first few times, but the same tricks over and over again kind of got old. I didn't have a huge problem with it until the Return of the King with the whole Oliphant thing where he climbs the thing and shooting everywhere and skateboards down his nose. and That was just over the top. A little bit of that kind of stuff's okay, but there was just too much of it. Denethor was another character from the movies that I had a problem with. I think they tried to make him be a little too insane and not quite um, regal enough. He didn't really come off as a, a steward or a king. He came off as 
this ruler who had really kind of lost his mind. And, of course, at the right before Denethor dies, he does go a little nuts in the book, but he was not wacko, go out on the ramparts and tell everyone to flee for their lives. Um, he, of course, always in the books, I believe, had the best intention of defending Gondor as best as he could. And he just felt that... Uh, Gandalf had other ideas, and I think the opposition between Gandalf and Denethor was not played up enough in the movie as it should have been. I think they could have done it a lot differently and could have had Denethor be a much more powerful character than he was. Frodo was another character who received a decent amount of votes in our poll. I guess for myself, I don't have a big problem with the way Frodo was portrayed. I think Elijah Wood did a decent job of it. I don't know that he's the actor that I would have chosen for Frodo. I think his accent was not real great. I mean, he does a good job though. Um, of course, the part where he sends Sam home was a big mistake, and I think that was not in the nature of Frodo's character in the books. I don't think he would have ever done that, so in that sense I think the uh, made a mistake with Frodo, but all in all, I don't have a big problem with him. I'm kind of interested to see what other people think, and what their reasons might be for disliking his performance. Aragorn's another character who I was a little disappointed in. I think Viggo Mortensen was a good choice for the role. I think he does a very good job, but I think they tried to make Aragorn a little too Reluctant, I think they wanted to have this conflict in Aragorn's mind and whether or not he really wanted to be king. And I don't think that that was there in the character from the books. Uh, another thing that really sticks out and bothers me is the scene in the extended version where they meet the mouth of Sauron before the Black Gate and Aragorn proceeds to chop his head off. Uh, it's another thing that the Aragorn from the books would have never done and it disgusted me thoroughly. Finally, I think I'm going to talk about Gimli. Now, of course, he is another character that doesn't have a whole lot of speaking roles, and he seems to be used as comic relief in the movies, which I don't understand, again, that I don't know why they think in every movie they need to have uh, comic relief or have one character who's cracking jokes. I don't think it's necessary. This is supposed to be a drama, not a comedy, not a kid's movie. But they try to cater to everybody, and I think that is a mistake. So in all three movies, whenever you see Gimli, you just expect something stupid to come out of his mouth. Now, that's something that I guess you should expect from a Hollywood movie. But I don't see how it's necessary. I can get past it, but again, you know, why? Why do you need it? I don't think any of Gimli's one-liners improve the movies at all. And I don't really think that the comic relief was necessary. So, why? I, I just don't get that. Okay, I guess that's enough complaining for one episode. I would encourage you all to chime in with your reactions and opinions. You can go to the website, lotrradio.com, sign up for our forums and post there. If you want to email me any comments or reactions, you can. My email address is... Aaron A. Wolf at gmail.com. That's A A R O N A W O L F E at gmail.com. 
So once again, thank you for listening. You can expect Episode 5 of Lord of the Rings Radio uh, sometime in early September. And I'm going to leave you today with some of Gimli's wisdom from the movie trilogy. And no regurgitation. Ah, yes, the dwarves that go swimming with little hairy women. Bad idea. Very handy in a tight spot, these lads. Despite the fact they're dead. Spring out of holes in the ground. <laughs> they are so alike in voice and appearance <laughs> that they're often mistaken for dwarf men. I cannot jump the dishes and have to touch me. Nobody tosses a dwarf! Uh, don't tell the elf. <laughs> <laughs>